Uh, I have a quick question for you. Um, a little shout out. Uh, what is the best gift that you ever received? Uh, anyone brave enough to shout one out? PlayStation 5. Nice. Anyone else? Nintendo 64. I raise your PlayStation 5 with some retro, okay? Anyone else? Sega Genesis. Come on, okay, we can go back a long way if we carry on this, this direction. Okay, fine. Well, um, my family are not renowned for great gift giving. I'll be honest, it's not, their, it's not their love language. And so I didn't grow up with like the most spectacular Christmas and birthday presents, but I remember being about 11 years old, and I knew something was different this year because my parents told me that I had to contribute to my own Christmas present. Um, and once I got off of the shock and disappointment of that, I realized it was because they had something big in mind. And so on Christmas morning when I was 11, I came downstairs and got to that pre-appointed time in the day, you know, when you have to negotiate with your family when you get the big gifts. And in my family, because they don't like presents, it's late on Christmas Day. And so I had to wait till late on Christmas Day. But there in front of me was presented this big, wide, quite flat-looking box. And I was, you know, I was already a little excited because it was much bigger than normal. And I did what 11-year-old boys do. I ripped the paper off it so fast and so violently that nothing was left but dust. Except in front of me then was a Tamiya RC Hornet car. Now, you'll look blank because you don't know what that is yet. But it is a model hobby-grade radio-controlled car which you have to build yourself. And to an 11-year-old boy, it is basically just the best thing in the whole universe. Um, and I spent two or three days just overwhelmed by how exciting and beautiful and wonderful it was. Um, whatever you think your best gift is, oh, hello, my gift, I feel like, might even be better. But the truth is, that probably isn't actually the best gift that I ever got. It's not the most life-changing. It was not the most significant gift. In fact, if I'm honest and I think about, you know, the people who have financially provided for me and fed me and clothed me and housed me and the people who have helped me go on trips, mission trips and provided financial support, when I think about the people who stuck with me through hard times, actually I realize that I have received a lot of very good gifts in my life. That actually I am a product of other people's generosity. But I also realized, as I was thinking about this last week, that actually we as a church are a real product of generosity. I was thinking as we get close to our third birthday or our third year, third year of arriving in LA, Laura and I, in the next few weeks, um, that the fact that this church started with people who opened up their homes and ran the Alpha course sacrificially and cooked meals so others could come to know Jesus is amazing as an act of generosity. I was thinking about the fact that Vintage Santa Monica were brave enough to fly Laura and I out here and to support us and encourage us and help over the last three years provide incredible support and financial help to Vintage Pasadena to get us going as a church is an amazing act of generosity. I was thinking about the fact that, that you have continued to love and support us as a family. Laura and I were joking this week that there isn't a piece of furniture in our whole house which was not given to us by someone in this church. I think you were all grateful to get rid of your old stuff, but, but we were grateful to receive your old stuff too. Um, and every week I hear the stories of your generosity to one another, to care, to help, to love, and to support each other as you're going through good times and bad times. Like we are a part of a story of generosity, but I think we're actually also part of a bigger story. We're a bigger story of God's generosity to us 
in our lives. And so as we go through February, we're going to take four weeks together to unpack the concept of generosity. And we're going to do it partly because we are coming up to March the 1st when we will become a totally independent new church in our own right. We will finish our support and our links to Vintage Santa Monica and we will be on our own with the Holy Spirit, obviously. Um, But we also want to do it because we believe that the word generosity is a central, biblical, important, foundational concept in what it means to follow Jesus. And uh, I'm really excited about it. You might not be because some people, you know, just understand that word to mean, "Uh uh-oh, he's coming for my money, get out the door. But actually, I think this is going to be a really good four weeks. And so I want to ask you, which I don't do all the time, but if you um, are not able to make it at one of the sessions over the next four weeks, if you can't be in this room or out in the courtyard where there's a little group of people probably out there eating all the donuts right now, watching on the screen, good morning. Uh, If you can't do that, then do join us online on the YouTube channel at 10.30 each Sunday morning. And if you really can't do that, then please do pick up the talks on the podcast or on the YouTube channel. All of our talks are always available there because these four weeks are going to build on each other and I think they're going to all be really important to catch them if you can. So that's where we're going to be going. And um, so let's get our reading this morning, which will be on the screen. If you have your Bibles, always super helpful. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 34. Matthew 6, 19 to 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And where your treasure is there, your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need, and knows that you need them. But you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which is always alive, always active, always speaking into our hearts. And we pray this morning that you would help us to understand more of your nature and your character and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, this passage, uh, you may know, is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's his seminal bit of theology where he gives to his followers, to these crowds who are assembled, his understanding, his guidance on many aspects of what it means to follow him. And in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks about these two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven, heaven and where, or the kingdom of light, and he speaks about the kingdom of earth or the kingdom of, of darkness. These two kingdoms are opposite. They are two completely different systems. They don't interact well with one another. They are completely opposed in their values, literally upside down. They're two different radical ways to approach what it means to be a human being. Now, the first one is the kingdom of earth, and Jesus describes it as being this, with this central idea that the world is all about me, or it's all about you. That the idea of the kingdom of earth is to get what you want, when you want it, with who you want it, as fast as you need it. And that if you do that, if you accumulate, if you grab hold of, if you achieve what you need to, then you will find the happiness, the security, the fun that you need. But there are some problems Jesus immediately gets into with the kingdom of earth. He says the first one is, is this, is that it's actually quite fragile. He says whether you are talking about food or you're talking about clothes or you're talking about treasure that you might put into barns, or I feel like if Jesus had been talking today, like investing in Bitcoin or the stock market, like whichever of those it is, you find sooner or later that those things aren't quite as steady. They aren't quite as reliable. They aren't quite as dependable as you hoped that they would be. Michael Green, who's a theologian, says this, the more people have and seek out in life, the more people worry about how to keep it, how to increase it, and to stop other people stealing it. It's not enough. And it's fragile. Sorry, the second thing is it's never enough. There's an ancient uh, proverb which says this, money is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. Isn't that true? Like, anyone ever got the latest iPhone or Android or other device? And for a while, like, you, you're like, this is amazing. Like, this is the best thing. I've been waiting for this for a long time, and now I am like the top of the class because I have the, 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 the latest iPhone. And it's good for six months until the next one comes out. And then the next one comes out, and the next one, and before you realize, like, no longer are you the coolest kid in class, no longer is your iPhone good enough because it gets a bit slow and the battery gets a bit, like, not so good anymore. And so what you have to do, you have to invest in the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. And whatever that thing is that you need, that there will always be one more. You can talk to the richest people in the world, and they will tell you that there is no end to the amount of accumulation that you can try and achieve to get to happiness. It will never get you there. And then the third thing that Jesus says is the problem is, of course, is that in the kingdom of earth, if you try and accumulate and grab and hold on, then actually you find out one day that you can't take those things with you. John Wesley famously was talking, he was asked to comment on this rich land-owning gentleman's estate and all his servants and houses. And John Wesley said, and they said to him, what do you think of what this man has? And John Wesley simply said, well, that's an awful lot of things to leave behind. That one day we will have to face the reality that whether or not we have 10 houses or five cars or one iPhone or whatever it is, we will never get to take it with us when we die and go to heaven. 
So that's the kingdom of earth, and Jesus has a lot of quite strong and harsh things to say. But what about the kingdom of heaven, which unsurprisingly is what we want to talk about today? Well, in order to understand the kingdom of heaven, we actually have to get to the very heart and the very nature of God. And at the very heart and the nature of God is this word that we're going to spend these four weeks on, which is the word generosity. I don't know if you think of God as generous. But I want to give you a few reasons this morning why I want to tell you why God is so astonishingly generous. The first one is like this. I think that God is astonishingly generous in creation, right? You know, God could have made the world to look like anything. You know, maybe some flat land, some brown colors, you know, just some gray sky. That's just talking about where I come from, unerily. You know, could, could have been like that, you know, but he didn't. I mean, look outside, look out the window, you guys, amazing. You know, he made this, he made 750,000 species of insects. I mean, you may not think that's a blessing, but I think that's, that's a blessing. He made 400,000 species of flowers. I mean, God could have just made one red rose. He'd be like, there's a red rose. Everyone happy with the red rose? He didn't. He made 399,999 other types of flower to go in your flower bouquets. He made 200,000 types of edible plants could have just made kale. Californians would have been fine, right? But he didn't. He made a whole bunch of other types of things that you can eat, like salads and broccoli. I don't know if that's a good thing. Anyway, he made those things. He made 10,000 species of birds. He made stars that are too numerous to count. God, when he created the universe, did it with this beauty and creativity and generosity because he's so loving. And do you know why he did it? He did it because he loves us. And because he cares for us, 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything. Why? For our enjoyment. God made these beautiful things for us so that we could enjoy and see something of his nature and his character. And not only that, but he gave us responsibility and authority within the created order because he's so generous. He said, you get to have a role in being in charge of it. He says to Adam and Eve, you can name the animals. I mean, that must have been a weird day. I mean, this thing like, what, what would you like to call that one? Well, call it an aardvark. Okay, we'll call that one an aardvark. I, I don't know, but it's amazing that God cares. And not only did he made it, but he continues, as the passage says this morning, to provide for us within the context of the creation. Jesus says, "How if God provides for the birds, if he provides food, how much more will he provide for those who are made in his image? There's this wonderful sense of ongoing provision. Psalm 36 says, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your faithful love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. God is so generous in the things that he's made and sustains in the world. The second thing is I think that God is so generous in community. Here's another quiz for you. What do these animals have in common? Uh, marine turtles, blue whales, snow leopards, polar bears, jaguars, orangutans, giant pandas, and platypus. Anyone know? Anyone? 
I believe they spend most of their life in solitary confinement. They spend most of their lives on their own. But that is not how God designed you in his image. On the first level, God designed you, you know, to have relationship with other human beings. When God made Adam, he said, it's not good that Adam's on his own. So we're going to make a helper and there's going to be husband and there's going to be wife. But of course, we're not all called to be married. So beyond that, what did God create? God created this wonderful sense of family and community of faith. That's why God created the church to be this place of interaction and love and serving and generosity. But even beyond the human things, God, who figures me, must be quite busy because there's quite a lot of creation to look after. God has quite a lot of people that he has to look after, and yet God is so generous with his time that God waits every single day to see whether you and I are going to talk to him. He waits every single day whether we're going to listen for what he wants to say to us. God is so generous that he doesn't just leave us in the vastness of creation all alone, but God gives us himself and his presence and his love goes with us. God is generous in community. But I think maybe even more important than either of those two things is that God is generous in salvation. Now, when people ask you what it means to follow Jesus, I don't know what you say. I think my family largely think that you know, we're just somewhat morally slightly higher up the food chain than they are, but otherwise we're the same. Well, actually, what I realize is that to be a Christian is radically different from that. Because to be a Christian is to know that Jesus came to save and give the greatest gift of all humanity. See, like the Bible, Bible says that, that out of God's freedom and generosity, he gave to Adam and Eve and he gave to the heavenly beings free will. He said, you can follow me or you can do your own thing. And sadly, in those moments, both the created order in heaven and on earth took the wheel of the car. And when children take the wheel of the car, it doesn't tend to end well. And the creation story is actually a story of rebelling against God. But amazingly, God did not rebel and give up on us. He didn't say, well, guys, you messed it up. It's over to you now. I gave it to you and you screwed it up. See you later. No, out of God's generosity, God did the very one and only thing that was good enough in order to restore, to fix, which he gave himself, gave himself as a gift to us in Jesus. And not only in himself to live, but he gave the greatest gift of all, which is to die for you and for I. And in dying, to give the even greater gift, which is the offer of eternal life. That's what Jesus gives to us. Christianity is not about being a nice person. It's about receiving that very gift of eternal life. A life forever, in eternity, in paradise, without sickness and without pain. And you didn't earn it and I didn't earn it and we never will be able to, but the gift is that he gave it to us. Isn't that a cool gift? I think it's a cool gift. And amazingly, he doesn't just offer it to you once. He offers it to you over and over again. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is so generous. But I don't know if you felt like that when you got up this morning. I don't know if you stumbled out of bed and grabbed your coffee and collected up your kids and tried to head to church. Was it with a sense of overwhelming gratitude? If I'm honest, I don't always feel like that. 
So why do, we, why do we not immediately recognize that? Why is it that we have trouble sometimes recognizing the generosity of God? Well, here's a few reasons, maybe. The first is this, is of course that when we look out of the world, sometimes what we see is pain. You can say, well, Ben, it's fine that, that God is so generous and kind, but have you just watched the global pandemic and all the people who died? It's fine that God is generous and kind, but I can't get a job. It's fine that God is generous and kind, but my loved ones are suffering today, and I am in pain. How can God be generous if we have to witness the things that are broken and painful in the world? Well, I don't have time or want to try and make light of some really complicated and difficult and painful situations that many of us in this room face. But I do want to just leave us with at least one hopefully helpful point, which is this. Right now, not everything you see, God did. Not everything that happened out in the world today was God's design for the world. That what happened in that brokenness that entered in, when the sin entered in, when darkness entered into the world, was the reality that no longer was everything that was created exactly as God always intended it to be. That there is a brokenness that there is a fragility, that there is things out there where humans make terrible, awful choices. There is a brokenness in the structures of creation. This isn't the end of the story. The end of the story, God promises, that in the end, all will be well. And if all isn't well, all it means is that this isn't the end yet. The promise of the story of God is that when we get to heaven, when Jesus returns or we die, we, the followers of Christ, will be there in eternity around the throne, exactly as it was always intended. But right now we do have to contend and stand in the brokenness and realize that it isn't all as God wanted it to be. We also, I think, just as a side point, have to recognize that God is not a genie, he's a father. And genies and fathers don't necessarily hand out smarties and gifts and candy at the same rate. So there is suffering, but I don't think that changes the nature of a generous God. The second thing is, I think we forget and we worry, maybe that's just me, how quick am I to forget the generosity of God in the past? I'll, I'll just let you into a, a moment of vulnerability, but around November time last year, we, um, as a church, we were looking at our finances and looking towards this moment when we were gonna become fully independent, March 2022, um, and I could see, and straight up, like if we were gonna do it, not only were we gonna need to have a really big financial year end to 2021, we were also gonna have to go into 2022 and really increase the level of our giving. And I freaked out, <laughs> I just looked at it, I was like, I don't know God, how we're gonna do that? And I went to see my spiritual director and he said, like, Ben, what's going on with you? You look anxious. I was like, I am anxious, like I, I don't know why, but you know, I, I just don't know if we're gonna be able to do this. And he said, well, let me ask you some questions. Has God always been generous to you in your past? I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, God's been amazingly generous in the past. Has God always looked after vintage Pasadena? Oh yeah, I mean, God has always looked after vintage Pasadena. So at what point, Ben, did you think that God had changed and was no longer gonna look after vintage Pasadena or you? I was like, oh yeah. I forget. I'm not the only one, I think, that God was faithful and God hasn't changed. And if God was faithful in the past, then he promises that he will be faithful now and he will continue to be faithful in the future. 
My spiritual director was right, by the way. We needed to raise $100,000 as a church in our December year-end giving. And I thought that was a lot. Do you know God's a bit more generous than I am? Do you know how much we raised? We raised just a little bit north of $200,000. Isn't that amazing? Now, that isn't going to sort the church out forever. <laughs> Sadly, we've got a new year and new challenges. But God is more generous. And I think we forget, you know, the Israelites, when they crossed over the Jordan River, God performed this astonishing miracle where he parted the seas, freed them from captivity. They headed towards the promised land. It took two weeks before they got hungry and panicked. It's not unusual. We forget. We worry. The third thing, which is maybe another way that the enemy, the devil, causes us to lose the generosity of God, is that we actually allow the good thing that God made and designed to be twisted and warped and broken. Jesus speaks about it in this passage. He says, food is really good. Drink is really good. We talked about feasting and fasting a couple of weeks ago, this beautiful pattern of, of having enough and worshiping God through what God has given to us. But it's interesting that when the devil gets involved in the story of food, what he does is he twists it and he blows it up. And before we know it, on one hand, you've got like this whole thing about like image and, and beauty and whether we eat too much and whether we're gonna be skinny enough. And on the other side, we have like this, this greed and lust after food, which turns into eating disorders and illnesses. Money, which actually Jesus doesn't even say is necessarily a good thing. It's just a neutral thing. It's a tool that God puts in the world so stuff can get done. But yet what the devil does is he twists it he turns it, he blows it up, he turns it from a good thing into a God thing. And then that God thing, we worship it, and then Jesus says, when it happens like that, the money becomes the root of all evil. Not that the money was the problem, but the love of the money. The good thing becomes the God thing, and when the good thing becomes the God thing, then actually we have a serious problem on our hands because it's not God anymore, it's the thing. But the devil twists it, and he turns it, and he blows it up beyond what it was ever designed to be and it gets broken. Sex, and yeah, I did just say that in church, is this amazing thing that God creates in the context of husband and wife on this lifelong commitment of beauty and intimacy and self-giving away. And yet, when the devil gets hold of it, he turns love into lust. He twists it, he turns it, he blows it up, says don't wait for that, he said get it right now. And of course, if we follow that story on one side, you get to pornography, you get to prostitution. And if you peel back the layers of that, you get to slavery and human trafficking, and you get to abuse and objectification of women. And then on the other side, you get to the, like, just sleep around culture. Let's just, you know, hook up with other people because it's just adult fun. And as well as the, the pain and, and the baggage and the stuff that gets left in, in that wake, you also, if we're really honest, and this is not to judge anyone, we, we get to how many just countless unplanned pregnancies, which leads to countless painful situations which lead to abortions. And none of those, if we track it back, were God's design for marriage and sex and life. What the devil does is he takes these things which are just inherently good and designed within a structure and a permanency and a lifelong commitment kind of idea and he blows them up and he messes them and he says, don't wait, get it now, get it on your terms, get it how you want it because that's how you're going to be happy. 
and we allow the good thing of God to be warped. And by the way, if you didn't think that you can't get too much of a good thing, try eating five boxes of donuts before you come to church. So how do we respond? How do we unwind that story of the earthly pain and the brokenness? Well, it's interesting that the way that God has designed us to live in the kingdom of heaven, he says, is very similar to the story of generosity that he has for us. Jesus says in verse 22, the the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now the words that Jesus uses are really interesting there. Um, The word he uses for unhealthy is actually the word miserly. To be unhealthy in the kingdom of heaven is actually to grab hold. It's to say it's mine and it's to hang on and it's to panic and it's to be anxious. When the word healthy that Jesus uses is actually the word for single or generous and open-hearted. To know what the kingdom of heaven is is actually to know what it means to be a generous person. It's interesting. Jesus says in Matthew 10:8, freely, he says it to his disciples, the 12, as he sends them out, freely you have received of the generosity of God. And so freely you give. Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven. What does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? Well, the implication, which we'll look at much more in two weeks, is this, that the things that God has given to us are actually usable in such a way that they can have eternal purposes, that they can change the eternity by the way that we use them. That whereas the enemy would say, well, it's just about getting what you want and grabbing hold of it and being clinged to really tightly, actually what it means to store up treasures in heaven is to learn to unwind that story, but instead to be a person who knows how to give onwards. As God gives to us, we are invited to be generous and give away. You see that? And it's, it's not just like, like, just throw everything away. But it's to use, to steward, to invest things so that they might change people's eternities. And that's the journey I want to take with you these next three weeks. I mean, it might sound scary, and if I've, you know, you feel like, oh, I can't go to that because he's going to talk about money, and I don't want to talk about money, and it's a difficult and hard subject. I just want to say we're not, gonna, we're not here to bully, we're not here to pressure, we're not here to cause grief. Actually, what we believe, what I believe passionately, is that this is about freedom. It's about victory. It's about life. And that's why we have to talk about it. And so I want to leave you with um, one image and then one challenge to start thinking about. And the image is this. Um, when I was um, growing up, I was little, my grandparents had this uh, little house in the country. In fact, it was a big house. Big house in the countryside. And running through their garden was this stream. And you know, when we were small, it might as well have been the Mississippi River. It was so exciting. And it flowed down from the hills above the house, and it came through the garden. It went off down to a reservoir eventually somewhere miles away. And we used to wade in it. We would have these little boats that we'd build out of wood, and we'd sail them down under the bridges. And it, it, but the piece de resistance in the middle of the garden was this pond. And again, to a small boy, it was not a pond. It was like the ocean. And we would, we would fish in it. We had a little rowing boat that we'd row across. I mean, it was probably only 10 foot by like 50 foot, but you know, it felt epic. 
and it was clear and beautiful and had all these wonderful flowers and ducks and geese on it. But over the course of, of my life, um, the, the pond changed. And the reason the pond changed is because the way it had been created was that someone had put a big board into the stream to create a waterfall. And behind the waterfall, over time, this, this pond had, had just taken up parts of the garden. And it was really beautiful when I was small. But by the time I became about 18, when my grandparents finally sold the house and, and moved out, actually it had become horrible. And what basically happened is that the stream would flow down the hill full of life and beauty, but, but it would also contain in it all these particles of sediment and mud and leaves and twigs and things. And as the fast water would carry it down into the garden, it would get into this pond and the water would slow right down. And then the sediment, if you ever studied geography, sediment would just fall to the bottom. And over the course of about 10 years, more than that, 15 years, this pond, which was lovely and deep, suddenly became, well, started to become just muddy. And all the dirt and the, and the debris and everything just started to like silt it up and silt it up and silt it up. Till the time I was 18, there was no pond left at all. It was just literally a marshy, sludgy, horrible, smelly mess. And that was it. And it was gone. And that image strikes me. It's always lived with me because I think that is what I want us to start to think about when we think about generosity. That the kingdom of earth says to you and me, the best way that you can deal with money or possessions or time or anything is to put a huge dam in the middle of your life and create a lake or a pond of blessing. And if you hold on to it, it will serve you really well. Now, I'm not having a go in any way about saving money or investments or pensions or anything like that. I'm not. But what I do believe is that God did not design us to have a pond of blessing. <laughs> Because when we create those structures, what we actually do is make something that's deeply unhealthy and smelly and horrible in the middle of our lives. Instead, what God has created us to be is to be the stream, the river of blessing. That what we were designed to do is to take the very beautiful things that God has given to us and to pass them through our lives and onward to bless those around us. In fact, scarily, sometimes what God says is, I want you to give away the thing over there before you even know if more's coming down there. But as we do that, and this is my experience, and this is exactly what Jesus teaches over and over again, is that amazingly, as Jesus says, all these things, as you learn to be a river, will be given as well. You know, in any place in my life when I have falteringly and imperfectly dared to not be a pond, but to be a river, to give away, the most amazing things happen. God's joy, God's adventure, God's blessing. And amazingly, I have enough. I've never not had enough when I've dared to go that way. But in other times in my life when I've got freaked out and scared and put a huge board in the middle of God's blessing and said, I better grab onto this as hard as I can because if I don't, then I might lose it. Astonishingly, what it's led to is anxiety and fear. And if I'm really honest, I haven't had enough. The very times I've not had enough in my life are the very times when I've tried to hang on to stuff the most. It's the astonishing upside down nature of the kingdom of God. And so over the next weeks, I, I just want to take this adventure with you. I want to take a journey to look at what it might mean for us as human beings to figure out how to live in the generous river of blessing that God has for our lives that he designed and planned and purposed for us. And I want to promise that if it has been a hard and difficult subject in the past, please keep coming back. I promise you'll find something that's good and different to what you might have seen before.
But as I, I close, I'm just going to put this slide up because this is also, I'm just being really honest and transparent, this is also part of our story. And uh, at the end of the month, we're going to uh, finish off this series with lunch. We're going to have a big feast. Sunday lunch, you're all invited, and some of you might want to bring some food. That makes it a better feast. Um, so we're going to sit outside, and we're going to tell some stories and say thank you to God for the last two years of the life of the church. But we're also going to use it as a jumping-off point into the future of being a church in our own space and right and legally independent. And so I'm going to be asking you in four weeks' time uh, whether you would think about, if this is your church, one of these four boxes. Um, it might be um, that as a marker of generosity, and you've, you might just want to go, well, I will give something. I've never given anything to a church. This whole Christianity thing is new and weird, and I don't know anything about it. But it sounds exciting, and I'd like to just think about, I'd just like to dip my toe in, in which case we're going to say, hey, why don't you just give something, one-off thing? It might be that you've given bits and pieces all over the place in the past, and that actually in four weeks' time, you might want to make the, ch the challenge of becoming a, a regular giver to monthly or two-weekly or whatever it is. Like, say, I'm going to discipline myself to actually push into this river thing by giving regularly. It, it might be um, in the bottom right that you've been doing that for a long time, but like your Netflix subscription, you don't even notice it anymore because it just happens in the background. And actually, you might in four weeks' time want to say, well, I'm going to stretch myself and increase the width of my river a little bit, and I'm going to dare to see what God might want to stretch me as I sacrifice a bit more. And it might even be that you're someone who's been like, well, I've been tithing for my whole life. I know how this works. I do the stuff. But again, that maybe God might say to a few of us, me too, like, let's widen the river. Let's stretch it. Let's see some more of his blessing. And so I want to be transparent. I want to be honest. We are talking about generosity. We're also going to be doing that in four weeks' time. So I'll leave it with you. But let's, let's pray. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to come. So you can stand if you want to. You've been sitting for long enough.